0: Welcome to this week's Docs Podcast, coming to you on Sunday the 13th of September 2020. My name's Fiona Stewart.
1: And I'm Philip Nitschke.
0: And together we're the co-authors of the Peaceful Pill Handbook Series. Now this week's podcast is on the New Tech 2020 New Technologies DIY Conference, which will be held purely online on Saturday the 26th of September so we're going to take a peek preview behind the scenes of what's on the program I mean I must say Philip it's one of the most exciting new tech programs you've ever put together and so I think the day which starts at four o'clock in the afternoon Amsterdam time and runs until about 8 p.m Amsterdam time should be one that nobody will want to miss so stay with us for the next 20 minutes and let's get started So, Philip, before we get stuck into the program of this this year's New Tech Twenty Twenty conference, what actually is New Tech, and how did it come about?
1: Well, uh, New Tech's interesting organisation. I I was actually involved in the very uh, the, in the very first meeting. It was a really a group of people back in a long time ago, back in nineteen ninety eight. Would you believe? When I first came over to the US and talked to John Hofsess, who was a Canadian, he's now he's now dead, but he was a Canadian who was interested in do-it-yourself means to help people die at the time of their choosing, as we were, as I was, and he suggested we have a bit of a talk about whether there were ways we could work out better ways we could help people and what new technologies were available, and it was at that meeting in uh, had in Victoria, British Columbia, the idea first came up, what about forming a group of people who had knowledge, had scientific or technological expertise... Have a gathering, regular gathering, so that we could discuss ways in which new technologies would perhaps change the face or the means or the methods that people could use to have a peaceful death. And that's what the idea came from. Since that time, 20 years, we've had these meetings, usually every couple of years, which people have come together and we've talked about what possible new methods there are.
0: I mean, because that's quite interesting. It seems the Right to Die movement is divided into those who see the answer as, well, legal and therefore pharmacological or technological.
1: Yeah, I think legal is not doesn't necessarily uh, limit it to pharmacological. No, not I mean, at all. Uh, legal simply means that you're going to effectively let the state decide the means of which the uh, method a person dies is decided, whereas DIY strategies such as exit employs are really looking at ways that the individual can control the whole process themselves. So certainly some of the strategies, in fact, many of the strategies that uh, New Tech has looked at is whether or not there are pharmacological solutions people can access themselves and use themselves without having to have any other medical expert involved. So the, the non-medical approach, I suppose, is really what New Tech tends to, tends to focus its interest in.
0: And the DIY approach, that's the other guiding principle of New Tech, isn't it? Yeah,
1: very much so. It's a DIY organisation that looks at new technologies because we accept the fact that new technologies have changed the face of just about every human endeavour in the last 20 years. So why haven't new technologies had a significant impact on the strategies and means and methods available for those who want to end their own lives? And that's what New Tech looks at.
0: Now, turning to the program, we have a number of keynote speakers listed, I note, Philip. The first session of the conference is a session called The Plug, The Future of Implantables, with Maria de Haas and Bert Kaiser. Would you like to say a few words about what you expect from this?
1: Yeah, because we had a theme. and We often do have a theme with Tech gatherings, and this one was a focus on the so-called Dementia Dilemma. For those of you who are unaware of what the dementia dilemma is, I should just say a few words on that. The dilemma as such is that when you get dementia, so you really don't know what you're doing, the question is, well, are you eligible for an assisted suicide? And by and large, generally speaking, with the medical models employed around the world, you're not. You have to be able to say with great clarity that you haven't lost insight. You've got to be able to say, I want to die. Now, a person who's demented, who can't say that, can't effectively access these legislative changes. So that keeps people trapped sometimes in a dilemma because they want to die, they've said that earlier, but now they've lost this choice.
0: But I guess one of the triggers for this is the situation and the controversy in the Netherlands at the moment because that's one of the very few countries, if not the only country, where you can include a request for euthanasia in your advance directive for a future time when you have dementia and you can't make that decision for yourself.
1: Yeah, that's really been the only solution that people have come up with is the one that has been employed in the Netherlands and in Belgium, I believe, where an advanced directive can actually be used. That is, if you write it on a bit of paper, that if I get to be like this, that is hopelessly demented, I want someone to come along and kill me. Now, the problem of that is that you're leaving behind a piece of paper which you hope someone will take notice of. Now, you may be able to legally take notice of that in the Netherlands, but there aren't that many doctors that are very keen on it. Because, and I think I can understand that myself, going along and seeing someone who says please help me die is one thing, but going along and looking at someone who's lying there and doesn't know what day it is, and then looking at a bit of paper that may have been written 10 years ago and saying oh this bit of paper says I should kill them, I don't feel comfortable with that and many doctors don't and that's what we call the Dementia Dilemma.
0: So for this first session, we actually have two duchies. Maria de Haas is, I mean, I guess our words, she's a design communication specialist, but she's also, via her work, a euthanasia futurist.
1: Yeah, she's come, up with, she's come up with an idea which I think is fascinating, which is... That it's a
0: hypothetical are, idea, we yes, should say. Yes,
1: she's point. come up with an idea, the idea that there may be a technological solution, so not just a legal solution... To by, the dementia dilemma. To the, the dementia dilemma. The, by legal solution, I mean that is write down and on a piece of paper and have a piece of law in place which gives some substance to that advanced director. That's the legal solution. The technological solution, which has been proposed by Maria, involves the concept of the plug and she'll be talking about her idea of the plug in conversation with bert kaiser the very eminent dutch philosopher physician who's had a lot of experience with helping people to die and knows the interface between people wanting to die and dementia very well indeed And what I think will be so fascinating about this discussion, this in-conversation, is that you have Maria describing a solution and Bert looking at it from the practical point of view of the doctors involved, or anyone involved in fact, about how he reacts to the idea of the plug. But what is the plug, Philip? Well, the idea is a technological solution, as we've said, but what it really is is an implantable switch. Now you can understand perhaps this idea that if you could have something tiny put into your body, which you have to make sure doesn't switch off and kill you. So it's a switch that would end your life, say perhaps a cardiac switch that's implanted in your body, which you would have to tell not to activate. So when you lose the ability to know what you have to do, so you can't switch the switch off, the switch works and you die. So it's a way of putting that decision-making about whether or not your life is ended when you become demented back onto a piece of technology which is only activated when you become sufficiently demented that you can't avoid that step. In other words, when you become so demented, you will die. And it won't matter whether you've got a piece of paper, an advance directive or a convenient concerned doctor around, you will die when you don't know how to stop the switch from functioning.
0: So are you saying this is one way of alleviating the responsibility of doctors to determine when a person with dementia is demented enough that they want to die or should
1: die? Yes, it certainly does that. It takes that process away from another person, be it a doctor or someone else, to say, well, I think they're suffering even though they don't have the ability to tell me and puts it back onto a piece of technology that works out and has been preset to activate when you simply cannot understand what it is that you're doing in this world.
0: Interesting concept. Interesting discussion coming up. Now, our third keynote speaker is a guy called Michael Laufer. He bills himself as a biohacker and an anarchist. He's founder of the Four Thieves Vinegar Collective. What's his background, Philip? Why oh. have you invited him, I guess,
1: is what I'm asking. Well, he's got quite a reputation. He's a person that knows what he's talking about. He's got a background in mathematics, specifically ways technologies can be used at democratising people's access to various forms of medical care. And I think it's fascinating, the work that he's done. He's looked at ways, for example, to make sure that there isn't some impediment on people of the world getting access to important medication they might need. Like what? Uh, Access drugs that can have a particularly particularly important role, access to naloxone for people that have had overdoses in opiates, ways in which that can be distributed in an equitable way.
0: Has he biohacked anything in particular? The adrenaline pen, the, the pencil?
1: The control of the adrenaline pen, which gives people the ability to give themselves an emergency injection of adrenaline. Now, if they why have
0: would it. anyone want to biohack that adrenaline pen? That you see, it's omnipresent. You see it everywhere. Schools have supplies of
1: it well it needs to be biohacked because the owners that control the patents for the development of these uh, this uh, piece of equipment have pushed the price up to the point where many people who certainly would benefit from access to a a bio pen can't afford it and so the idea of working out ways that people can create their own bio pen makes a lot of sense something i would have i'm totally supportive of
0: now from my background reading i understand michael has actually taken things one step further and he's he's had an implant A technological plug sort of implant.
1: The eye, that's one of the reasons why we were very keen for him to speak at this gathering because the plug is going to be an implantable device. So we want to know whether or not such a device, when it's developed, if it's developed, work out ways in which it would work and then whether or not it can be miniaturized to such a point that it can be implanted. Then Michael's got some experience in implantables. He's had an implantable device himself. In fact, he's been the recipient of an implantable device to see how these processes might work.
0: Now his his implant is is a file server, so he can it's got Wi Fi capabilities. He can he can pick a, log into Wi Fi networks, and he can also store data on it in a way that doesn't go off at metal detectors and airports, and is a secure storage means.
1: Yeah, I think it's very early days in the question about implantable data storage devices. The idea of bits of technology though facilitating the human in ways, various ways, is a concept which is constantly coming up and looking at ways that the human body might be changed, improved perhaps by pieces of implantable technology. The plug concept is saying that it can also be used, an implantable device can be used perhaps as a way of facilitating and assisted death. So the idea of getting Michael to talk is first of all to give us an overview on where implantables uh, might be taking us and whether or not that particular concept can be usefully employed in the way that Maria has in mind.
0: Now your next listed keynote speaker is Kinga Yalinska. She's another Amsterdam person. But originally she's Polish and she's the founder of Women Helping Women. What does this group do, Philip? You've got it titled as Reinventing the Wheel, Lessons from the Self-Help Abortion Movement.
1: Well, the title is there that we shouldn't reinvent the wheel and the little logo there is a person shouldn't be going down there and doing things that have been done somewhere else. Why it's of relevance to the assisted suicide and the New Tech movement is that we don't want to spend our time using new technologies to develop strategies and methods which have been already pioneered by other groups that have got a different problem but have used new technologies to solve their problems. In her case, she's a person that's been involved with organisations that have been looking at ways in which... We can democratise the idea of women being able to access the termination of pregnancy. It means that they've been involved in looking at ways the best drugs can be distributed, can be sourced, whether or not there's other strategies that can be employed to allow a woman to have a reliable termination of a pregnancy when she wishes. They've got many of the same sorts of problems that people looking into ways to assist a suicide have got, and they've come up with some solutions which we can benefit from.
0: Yeah, Kinga is no wallflower. She does much of her work in her home country of Poland. And anyone who has any knowledge about abortion knows that anyone who tries to take abortion or promote women's choices, reproductive choices in Poland, something like a red rag to a bull. Okay, the next keynote speaker is Frenchman Guillaume Cordray. Now, Guillaume's, I guess he's a little bit left field in this list of keynote speakers. He's a critic of sodium nitrite because it's a carcinogenic. But in the process of investigating what he says is a cover up of the sodium nitrite industry in France and globally, he's kind of looking at the, the, the wrongful death end of nitrite rather than the elective death end.
1: Yeah, our involvement with game has been an interesting one. Exit first talked about the idea of using sodium nitrite as a means for a person accessing in a reliable death about three years ago. And it received a bit of attention because sodium nitrites is a very accessible salt. It looked like it might become the new Nembutel for people wanting to be able to end their lives. Guillaume had been working on this uh, topic, not the topic of assisted suicide, but an interest in sodium nitrite, because sodium nitrate's had a fascinating history, and his concern over it was its role in the preservation of meat, the use of nitrite as a food or a meat preservative has long been a topic of some concern over its possible carcinogenic role with certain preserved meats and many people listening to this will be aware that preserved meats in the form of sausages of various um, ha- and the like may be implicated in bowel cancer and the offending agent was thought to be sodium nitrite.
0: I mean, you he, can buy, now buy these these um, meats in the deli section that actually say on the labelling nitrite-free. It's become a sales. Such is, I think, the power of
1: Guillaume's research work. Well, he, he's been up against some powerful in, uh, sources within the meat preservation industry who are very keen to leave nitrate in place because it's a very cheap way.
0: Tried or tried. Nitrite or
1: Nitrite is a very cheap way of preserving meat. He was suggesting that they've been covering up the actual cancer producing role of this substance and he's done a lot of work on nitrite over the years and then he heard about this fascinating new use of this substance that is not only does it give you cancer but it can actually help you die he made contact we've had a chance to talk in the last year or so and now he can give a very i think fascinating overview of this important and interesting chemical sodium nitrite, including some of its most recent innovative uses as a suicide agent.
0: Okay, we now shift gear and the rest of the program is really uh, personed by right-to-die movement experts. And activists, and I guess the first amongst these are the group of Americans who have been responsible for the DDMa, new U.S. drug mixture protocol. And we're talking—you're talking in particular um, in about Lonnie Shavelson.
1: Yeah, Lonnie Shavelson is a Canadian uh, Californian. A doctor who's done a lot of work in conjunction with other doctors uh, on the predominantly west coast of America, that's Oregon and Washington State and California, where the first right to die laws, medical model laws, came in. The background to their involvement in new technologies as such came about because when the laws came in, so it was lawful to help a person die, as we've seen so many times in the past. Drug companies that were involved in the distribution of the required drugs, in particular the barbiturate Nimbutel, the other barbiturates that were useful for people seeking an assisted suicide, the price started to rise, the distribution became impossible, it became more and more difficult for people who had effectively gained a legal right to get help to die to be able to afford the drugs needed. So, some doctors there looked at other alternatives. They set out to try and find cheaper alternatives to the barbiturates, Nembutel and still are used if you can simply afford them. And they've come up with some very interesting alternatives. The first was D-D-M. P and that's changed over the last couple of years as they've had the opportunity to work out better and better combinations. And, and they're learning. in
0: that really unique position, aren't they, that they can effectively, lawfully experiment on these drug mixtures in regard to people who they've certified as being able to use these right-to-die laws in California, Oregon and Washington.
1: Yeah, they're in a very unique position. I mean, I'm very, in many ways, we're quite envious. We have had such a difficulty getting detailed information about the use of a substance like sodium nitrite because of the question about trying to find and get access to people using it. Whereas in this situation, they've got the law on their side in California and in Washington and Oregon. So they can sit by the bedside while a person takes these other combinations and they can monitor with a great deal of uh, care exactly how a small, changes to these drug combinations can improve, and by improve we mean make quicker and more peaceful the deaths that people experience when they take these drugs, which is why they've evolved the program and the process to a four-drug mix now, which is called D-DMA, and it's extremely effective. Now Lonnie will be telling us how those various steps took place and why they've settled on and how they went about realising that the best way of doing it was to modify the process. You give one drug a little before the other three drugs and you give it in a certain way and he'll talk all about that evolution to come up with what is now a very effective and very affordable mixture of drugs. Its relevance to DIY and that is the new tech concepts is that these four drugs are available if you seek them cleverly on the internet. And uh, we talk about that in the Peaceful Pill Handbook.
0: Now, another speaker who's bound to be very popular is the inventor of the R2D Debriever, Richard Avicet. He's, a, he's someone who's participated in past New Tech conferences and it's a no-brainer that he's included in the program for this one.
1: Well, Richard Averset from the US uh, developed the Rebriever and we've talked about it in these podcasts before. There's been some modifications to his, to his invention. He's improved upon it and because he's spoken at new tech gatherings before, when the idea of a rebreather, debreather, as we sometimes call it, came up and explained the process, now he's going to be given. We, we think it's a very good opportunity for him to come along and tell us about the ways in which the rebreather has been modified to make it more effective and more accessible.
0: We also have two experts talking about gases. We have Ted Ballou from the US and John Todd from Australia. They also have both attended and presented at past New Tech conferences.
1: They're both going to be talking about gases, and in particular the poison gases. Now this is a little bit different than the inert gases, that's the nitrogen process we use with something like Sarko. The poison gases, and in this case particularly, they're both going to be talking about carbon monoxide, although John Todd, who developed the GOLPS generator for carbon monoxide has has worked on a, a what he's described as a multi-gas generator. So it's a little bit of a, a broadening out of his original concept. I'm not entirely sure of what it is that he's discovered, but he'll be telling us in some detail. Ted Ballou from the US has been looking at an extension of an idea which has been suggested before, but it's never been taken Uh, to its full potential and it's a very interesting idea of a dry powder carbon monoxide uh, generator and this was the idea of the cigarette plug a car carbon monoxide generator you plug it into the cigarette plug and switch it on in a car and it produces by a process using dry powder uh, the required carbon monoxide in the car to give a person a peaceful death because with carbon monoxide you really only need 1% of the gas in that car which will indeed give you a peaceful death so carbon monoxide has a very useful role and both of these speakers will be talking on about talking about how that gas can be can be employed to give people a useful DIY death
0: now i note you have a session on the program called Nitrofoam Frenzy with the delightful Hugh Wynn from Scotland. What's behind this? It's a, is this a new way to bin the bag? What's, yeah. Hugh, what's Hugh going to be talking about?
1: Well, we do talk about ways to bin the bag and I just mentioned a few minutes ago about the problem of a gas like the inert gases like nitrogen, which we use in Sarco, is that the traditional way of using an inert gas was to put your head inside a plastic bag and people didn't like the idea of the plastic bag, even though the death itself was a very effective and quick and quite peaceful death bin the bag, meaning getting rid of the bag. And so people have looked at many people have talked about, ways in which we can effectively control or contain the inert gas in a way that you find yourself immersed in the gas, but without having to use something as uh, aesthetically displeasing as a plastic bag. One of those suggestions is to use foam. And so we've titled this talk, well, Hugh, as Nitro Foam Frenzy, because you may have heard of foam parties where people go along and dance around in the foam. This is air foam. Now, if you replace that air with nitrogen so that you've got nitrogen foam you can dance around okay but you'll also rapidly die so it's a little bit of a light-hearted presentation by Hugh we're not too sure of its exact applicability the idea of saying it's for those who want to die partying is a little bit tongue-in-cheek but the idea of using foam nevertheless as a containment for the nitrogen is very interesting and so that's the topic that Hugh will be talking about.
0: I notice, of course, that you've put yourself on the program, Philip, discussing Sarko X and the new, well, your your concept of a pack sarco. You've only given yourself 10 minutes, so it seems to be a very ambitious topic for such a modest time
1: slot. Yeah, well, it's one of the perks of being a person organising conferences. I guess you can give yourself as much time as you like. Or but as I've,
0: little as the case may be. Yes,
1: as little. I, well, I there's, because there's a lot of good and interesting new ideas being talked about, I didn't wish to take up too much time with this concept of the flat pack sarco, but I do think that it's going to be of sufficient interest to at least be able to outline it in principle that is the idea of taking the 3d printed Sarko, which many of us will be many of our listeners will be aware of and we've talked about before that's a very elegant and stylish device it's 3d printed you climb in and press a button and die but because it's 3d printed it takes some time and it will take some endeavor to get one produced we're looking at ways in which we can a- turn it into a flat pack device and then distributed in a sense, you'll be able to order the flat-packed packing ver- flat packed version, I've called it the IKEA version, and assemble it yourself. So I'll talk a little bit about how this is a distributable form rather than sending it around as a 3D printable program as a set of plans for a flat-packed version, You're assembling it yourself, climbing in and pressing a button and have your own flat-packed Sarko
0: now the final speaker is the wonderful Neil Nichol. Neil Nichol is a lab technician from Michigan. He was assistant to Jack Kevorkian. He's he, he is Jack Kevorkian's official biographer, and Neil's going to be talking about new techniques for bio body disposal. Has this got any? Is this because Neil's thinking about planning his future now? Um, I guess he is getting on. <laughs>
1: Well, he talked. He made contact and said that this was a topic that he had been spending some time looking into, and it is a fascinating topic. Which New Tech hasn't spent as much time on as it possibly should have in the past. It's ways looking at body disposal environmentally friendly ways, consuming fossil fuels. So all sorts of things are taking place in the area of funeral disposal. Body this disposal. This is a good.
0: This is a good example of the use of technology for, I guess, an old problem, isn't it? The new use of technology.
1: Yeah. This, And it's something that is overdue. And what Neil has offered to do and is keen on doing is give us a summary of some of these new strategies.
0: Well, that's a brief overview of this this year's New Tech 2020 conference. If you'd like to find out more or get yourself a ticket, you can come to the website at newtech2020.com or off the exit website. Tickets are free for exit members and members of Final Exit Network and members of Ultime Liberté in France and members of CLW in the Netherlands. There's a limited number of places. We only have up to 500 people able to attend. There's well over 350 registrations to date. Ticket sales will close on Thursday, the 24th of September. So if you need, if you want to come along, you need to act now. We expect to have a full house. If you're worried or, or curious about whether the time zone suits you, we've actually put up global time zones on the website. There's also you can get time zone calculators. So you make sure that you are at your computer at a set time midnight to 4:30 a.m conference or if you're in San Francisco it's a 7 a.m start if you find these times too early too late or somewhere in between for you rest assured we will be recording the new tech conference however to obtain your recording you will need to register ahead of time so don't forget that thank you for listening if you'd like to find out more information about the peaceful pill handbook you know where to go peacefulpill.com we do discuss the new tech Uh, the topics are often covered as updates in the Peaceful Pill Handbook but I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast thanks for listening folks and we'll talk to you again in the coming weeks bye for now